Well, go ahead and turn in a Bible to Mark chapter 10. Uh, If you don't have a Bible of your own, you can use one of the ones in the pew rack in front of you. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, In the pew Bible, it's going to be on page 1,346. Go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 10 in whatever you have on hand for a Bible. And in all seriousness, if you don't have a Bible of your own, let us know in the chat uh, on Church Online, and we'll be sure to get you a Bible here in the days ahead. And so as you turn to Mark chapter 10 in whatever Bible that you have, uh, we have been in a series entitled Jesus Said, that's taking us up to Easter, looking at the very words that Jesus said, that he spoke. Some Bibles even have those words in red font just to stand out what Jesus uh, had specifically from his own lips. And so that's what we've been focusing on. What is it that Jesus has to say to us? Uh, you could say in these unique times, but also uh, in any time. In fact, we even talked about maybe shifting our series a little bit. Maybe should we head another direction to respond specifically to the unique uh, times that we're in? And we decided no, because even in these ever-changing times, we know that the words of Jesus never change, that they apply in any setting, in any context. And we're going to find that uh, certainly true of us today here in Mark chapter 10. And so follow with me, Mark chapter 10. We're going to start in verse 13 to discover what Jesus said both then and for us now. Mark 10, starting in verse 13. It says, people were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. But the disciples rebuked them, rebuked the children. Essentially, disciples are saying, uh, hey, this ministry work for Jesus and us is way too important for little kids to be uh, running around and, and all of that. But verse 14, when Jesus saw this, he, Jesus, was indignant, uh, not happy with his disciples, you could say. And so Jesus said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children into his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. And so what Jesus says in a word, in these words from Jesus that you could say applies specifically to us today, would be the word receive. Jesus says that in order for you to experience fully the kingdom of God, the ways of God in your life, that all you can do, ironically, is not do something, but choose to uh, almost not do something, to receive what he is doing and already wanting to do in your life. Uh, That it's, you could say, maybe you've heard the phrase, a childlike faith. That that's where we're after, a faith like a child, that just as a child is fully dependent upon the care and the love in a healthy situation of a mother and a father, Jesus is saying that if we want to understand what it's like to receive all that God has for us in our life, then we have to choose a faith. We have to choose dependence, choose to receive the care and the love that he wants to have for us in our lives. And so for us today, in these times, uh, we recognize that there are many things that have us looking uh, maybe for some answers or some direction or uh, some very real intervention. Uh, For many of us, we wonder, you could say at our best, and maybe worry at our worst about the world and the nation's economic and financial uh, situation. 
And then, you know, kind of bringing that down to our world, we worry about our own specific uh, financial situation. For some of us, we have loved ones that we are physically unable to go and meet and visit and care for, uh, and that's hard. Uh, for some of us, we, we worry very much uh, about uh, the nature of where our health uh, will be in the days ahead uh, because of um, this, this virus that is, that is spreading, uh, it would seem more and more rapidly. And then even just beyond our physical health, we wonder about, uh, you know, in these kind of quarantine settings, you know, our, our emotional health, our relational health, our family's health, and in all of it, again, at our best, we wonder what it's going to turn out like, but at our worst, we worry. Well, Jesus has a word for us in that, and that word is receive. To receive the love, the care, the providence, the providence uh, that God wants to give you in all those spheres of life by, like a child, placing our faith in the love and the care of our Heavenly Father. I love the way uh, it says it in 1 John 3, 1. That really points to us getting to be the children who come to Jesus, who come to God. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are, that we are the ones who receive, who get to have his care. The same way in which we're supposed to understand our care for children, we are the child, we are the children of God where we can receive what he has in our life, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, all of that, we're putting our trust dependent upon the providence and the goodness of God. And so from there, once we, I don't wanna say like we receive it and then we're done, as we actively receive what God has for us day by day, each day, uh, what do we do with what we have received? What, what's our responsibility, you could say, uh, to do with that which we have received from God? Well, skip over to verse 43 in chapter 10, uh, where just kind of set up what's gonna happen here. We're in a setting where Jesus has just reminded and taught his disciples that if you want to uh, you know, kind of get to the top, you're gonna have to choose the lowly position, uh, like a child, as we just looked. I kind of got to go to the bottom in order to um, be at the top of the kingdom of what God has in mind for you. And so even after Jesus taught this, a couple of his disciples, James and John, they're arguing with the other 10 disciples about essentially who is going to sit at the right and the left of Jesus when he comes into his kingly throne, when he comes into glory, it says. And so the disciples are all arguing. Essentially, it's like Jesus is getting ready to go uh, on a cross-country trip in a 12-passenger van. And James and John are like, shot! Shotgun, shotgun, I call shotgun. I'm sitting next to Jesus and, and, they're, and they're elbowing each other to get to the front. And James is like, no, I gotta sit in the front. I get car sick in the back and they're whining and they're complaining. And rather than Jesus like, you know, opening up the van for the disciples, like bloop, bloop, he stops them and he uses it as a teaching moment for them and for us. And Jesus says this in verse 43, that rather than jockeying to get up to the front, he says really in the same way that he did with the children's lesson, he says, instead... Verse 43, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be a slave of all. And so the second word for us that Jesus said here is servant. That as we receive with confidence what our heavenly father has filled us up with, we then out of the overflow are to serve and to care and to love others with what we have received. 
And so I appreciate uh, some of the ways in which other um, voices uh, in the faith have, have spoken to this. Uh, Pastor Andy Stanley, uh, speaking really to our situation, uh, when asked, you know, why cancel the physical gathering uh, of a church in these times? And he responded, the, the reason we cancel or close the church building during a pandemic is one, we are loving our neighbors by protecting our neighbors. Two, we are not being fearful, we are being responsible. And three, that this is what love or service to others requires of us in this season. Another practical voice for us in this setting actually comes from uh, Martin Luther, the great church reformer of the 16th century. Uh, This dates back to 1527, so almost 500 years ago, where actually in his own town of Wittenberg, there was um, a plague going on, and he wrote to a friend about how the church should respond in that setting, which um, is pretty uh, interesting, given our certain times right now. And he said this, uh, Martin Luther, great church reformer, he said, In their pandemic, he said, use medicine, which can help, fumigate house, yard, and street, shun person and places wherever your neighbor does not need your presence or has recovered. So interesting, they're practicing social distancing back in the 1500s in order to deal with the plague, maybe where uh, medicine was less available. But then he goes on to say this. He says, however, if my neighbor needs me, I will not avoid place or person but will go freely as stated above. See, this is such a God-fearing faith because it is neither brash nor foolhardy and does not tempt God. And so I love that kind of caution against either extreme. It's not brash or foolhardy. And frankly, just over the last uh, week, I'm, I'm I'm thankful and proud of you all as a church in the ways that I've already seen you all kind of walking that tightrope through uh, some of your engagements with some of the ministries we have. Uh, We have a group as part of our community missions team who has been delivering meals to families in need and, um, you know, who struggle to have transportation to make that possible. And so that's been happening for the last couple of weeks. Uh, I'm excited for a new ministry that's starting here this week where uh, we are actually getting DVDs of our worship services to uh, nursing homes and assisted living centers all throughout our town who are used to having um, a Bible study leader or a pastor uh, come to their setting to lead such a service where they're now gonna be able to participate uh, through the use of technology in their various settings. Um, Our Arts Academy and our Families Ministries, they've uh, partnered together to, uh, they're gonna be putting together cards of encouragement to be sending to uh, these various facilities and things of that nature. And so I'm just thankful that, that in, you could say in our age of social distancing, it doesn't mean uh, social disengagement, that we can still be engaged uh, in creative and new ways with one another. Um, I appreciate the way uh, Beth Moore encouraged us in this. If uh, She's a popular teacher here in some of our settings uh, that we've used in various studies. Uh, her on her Twitter feed, she said, uh, let's not freak out, let's help out. She said, there will be multiple ways to help people out. Uh, We'll have to think creatively of some of them. One thing we can immediately do is is pray and we can organize our prayers uh, so we don't feel overwhelmed. Maybe seven days a week, choose seven different focus groups uh, that especially need prayer. She goes on to say that we can make phone calls, we can check in on people, especially the elderly, and and rediscover uh, real live talking uh, yet again. Uh, There's also group FaceTiming that can get us together in groups. There's gonna be people who need financial help. Then she goes on to say this. She says, we're gonna make it. 
God will walk us through, but it will be one day at a time. He's about to school us on trust, about childlike faith. His grace will be like manna. His mercies will be new every morning and they will, excuse me, and there will always be enough. Always be enough. And so we receive his mercies. We receive the goodness that God has for us when we choose a childlike faith. Then what do we do with that? We take what we have received and out of the overflow, we choose to be a servant. We choose to serve others who we see as, you could say the ultimate example of that, not just in what Jesus said, as our series suggests, but even more so in the last verse of our passage here, what Jesus did. Not just what he said, but look at what Jesus did, verse 45. He says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Well, so many of you, just like the staff of First Christian Church, are not only trying to figure out how to worship from home, but work at home. You too, uh, maybe in your setting, are trying to figure out what it means uh, to work from home. In fact, um, the circumstances aren't always ideal. We were trying to uh, wish and congratulate a happy birthday to our own uh, Lori Putnam in the midst of a uh, a video conference all-staff meeting. And uh, this is how that went. Uh, Shall I start us off? Uh, Are you 29 today? Wait, yeah, 29. <laughs> Are you starting? One, two, hey, thank you. three. Happy, Happy birthday, birthday to you. Oh, my choir. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, birthday to you. Happy birthday, Thank you, thank you, one and all. I appreciate it. And so, yeah, working from home has its share of challenges um, and isn't necessarily the most ideal circumstance for us all. Uh, like, for example, this guy. Because of coronavirus, you are going to be quarantined, but you have a choice. Do you, A, quarantine with your wife and child, or B? B. <laughs> B. B. So as we look at what Jesus said, um, in full transparency, if I were to give myself a grade uh, this past week in my own home about doing what Jesus said, um, moment of confession here, I would have to give myself a big fat F. Because uh, in full disclosure, you, you could say from my humanity to yours, this great irony of I am doing my work from home trying to write this message about how Jesus says to welcome the little children, how the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And at the same time, I have my little children opening and closing the door, needing a snack, needing help with their schoolwork, homework, quarantine work, whatever you want to call it, uh, tattletailing on the other little sweet little children that need to be coming to G. And so this 
reality that I am literally doing what the disciples were doing that Jesus rebuked them for. I am rebuking my little children saying, hey, essentially I need to do this important Jesus work. There's no time for you guys to be uh, in on all this. And so I'll admit I'm a little, a little on the slower side uh, when it comes to catching a hold of what Jesus has for me as exemplified in my own week last week. And even after doing this, I, I still struggled to do this well. Um, but take heart, uh, I take heart, you can take heart that if you uh, feel like maybe that's been your struggle, we are all in good company uh, because the disciples were also uh, slow to get this because uh, frankly, if you've been doing the reading plan along with us, we've been reading through the book of Mark leading up to Easter. Uh, we've been in chapter 10 here in our time together, but in chapter nine, just one chapter prior, all of these same points Jesus has already made. He's already talked about, uh, we see in chapter 10, it's the third time he predicts his death as the ultimate service. Back in chapter nine, it's gonna be the second time he has to say that this is what it means to serve when he predicts his own death. Uh, he also goes on in verse 31 of chapter nine. Uh, he says that the son of man will be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him. And then three days later, he will rise. So he's predicting his death. Verse 35, again, prior to what we already looked at in chapter 10 in our passage, sitting down, Jesus called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first has to be very last and the servant of all. Then verse 37, here we have it again, prior to what we already looked at. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. And so we have this irony that with all of this talk of being a servant, of faith like a child, of welcoming the children, these adventures in missing the point with the original disciples, um, that we are in good company with them. That if you feel like this past week has been an adventure and missing the point of, uh, of being a servant, uh, maybe even in your own setting, in your own household, that you find yourself saying, be, definitely be. Um, we wonder, okay, how can we grow in this? How can we practically gain some ground in actually doing this? Because as cool as it is to look toward all of the things that the church is doing and serving, uh, delivering meals and folks in an assisted living, you know, the big things, that's the things that we get excited about and want to be a part of. I would argue that the most profound opportunity we have to represent Jesus, to serve like him, uh, is actually going to be in this season the little things, the little things. And I don't know who said it. It was a great reality, but um, some, some guy who is um, with a lot of wisdom said, the older he gets, the more he realizes it's the little things that are actually the big things. That it's the little uh, moments where we respond to the prompting of the Holy Spirit to represent Jesus well in our own homes that are actually the hardest. Those are the most difficult. And so as I thought, just real practically, how could I help myself move forward in this, help uh, maybe you move forward in this? Um, there's something I came across in a book I read a number of years ago uh, by Stephen Covey called The Eighth Habit. Uh, now that might sound a little strange because he's most well known for his book, uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Well, apparently seven isn't enough. And so he came out with an eighth habit, uh, but it was really good. And it was this understanding that in our lives, you could say that, Every action and reaction is based on, you could say, a stimulus and a response. 
that something happens where we, uh, our attention is uh, taken and then we respond to whatever that input is. Sometimes that's an external stimulus, you know, uh, for the hundredth time that um, your spouse or child puts that dish in the sink rather than in the dishwasher that is just inches away. Uh, could be that stimulus. It could be, um, you know, a child of yours uh, coming in and out of a door when you're trying to write a sermon about how precious little children are. Those could be external circumstances that um, get your attention and would maybe um, give into a response that maybe uh, internally is not the response you want. Maybe it's a stimulus that uh, is of you could say annoyance or the internal stimulus of frustration or the internal stimulus of even anger. And so we have the stimulus and this response, this very natural reaction, this chain of events that happens. But what Covey points out, which frankly is actually a biblical precedent, which we're gonna look at here in just a minute, is that between every stimulus and response, there is this powerful opportunity. And that is the freedom and the power to choose. That there is actually a space between every stimulus and every response, there's a space and that is our freedom to choose. Our power, you could say, to choose. And what I wanna add to Stephen Covey's understanding is the reality of what God's word says. This reality that, um, again, already said in scripture, the book of James says that we should be slow to speak and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And then Galatians 5 goes on to say, but the fruit of the spirit includes verse 23, gentleness and self-control. That there's a space, that there's this opportunity between the stimulus and the response. And it's not just self-control, it's really spirit control. It's God's Holy Spirit control. That's what self-control, fruit of the spirit is. It's God's spirit taking control, giving control over to him to change and to choose what might otherwise be uh, quick to speak, quick to react in that space. And so instead of being quick to respond, God's word says, be slow to respond. Be slow to anger, to take advantage of this God-given space between the stimulus and the response, to slow things down and to trust, maybe even that moment, offer up a, what you, some call a breath prayer, just a moment right there when that external or internal stimulus gets your attention, gets your goat, that you can slow things down and ask God's Holy Spirit for spirit control, for self-control, that you would be slow to respond, slow to react, slow to speak, slow to anger. And so maybe that will help you in your setting as you draw out that space and the power of the Holy Spirit to choose how you respond. Again, in the, we call them the little things, but the longer we live, the more we realize it's the little things that are the big things. It's the things that we really face in our life when it comes to being a servant to others as we receive the childlike faith and dependence that we get from Jesus. And so I'd encourage you to take advantage of the Holy Spirit self-control moments and space between those stimulus and those responses and those moments. But then one more, uh, really prayer for you practically uh, for the week ahead. It's a prayer that I've prayed uh, personally uh, nearly every day for probably the last six or seven years. And it's a prayer that comes out of 
what's called the Book of Common Prayer. It's a collection of prayers uh, that's nearly 500 years old. And it's a simple prayer. I pray it each morning. And I would invite you each morning um, to let this be your prayer into uh, the unique days that we have. And I think it's a prayer that's very appropriate for our times. It's simply this, Lord God Almighty and everlasting Father, thank you for bringing me in safety to this new day. Preserve me with your mighty power that I might not fall into sin nor be overcome by adversity. But in all I do, direct me in the fulfilling of your purpose through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. And so I want to invite you right now, just in the context of your home, uh, someone uh, can take the lead on this and just to pray that uh, over your family, to pray that prayer of thankfulness, of protection, and guidance for God's purposes, uh, both now and in the days ahead. And so we'll give you a few moments for someone to, to pray that prayer. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.